is Angela, and this is the Homestead Education Podcast, where we talk all things homesteading, and we want to share our passion and experience for this lifestyle with you. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Homestead Education Podcast. Mandy and I are here today to do more of a conversational piece about money and funding the homestead and whether or not you can actually make money from the homestead. So if you tuned into season one, we did a conversational episode there um, and we're going to do one again here. I think it's important in each season not to just talk logistics and how to and you know sort of get textbook. I think it's really important to also just talk about the lifestyle and have conversations about what it's like to live the lifestyle and make it more authentic and we are people and yes, we try to share insight and knowledge, but also we want to give the human portion of it um, airtime as well. So, hey, Mandy, how are we doing? Hi, gosh, so good. I'm very excited about today. I mean, this is conversation that we, oh, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> I just I'm totally good. jumped right in. I'm good. You know, we talk about this just in daily life, right? Like if you and I were into dinner or something like that, it it might come up in conversation. And I know for a fact it comes up in conversation on most every social media platform when, um, really, gosh, I mean, I think that the main question is how do you, you know, everybody wants to know how to start, how to start something, how we started something, how you started something, um, you know, but really you have to kind of, it's not about how to start. It's not about learning that skill or anything like that. It's, can you fund it? And I mean, I hate to be the bear of bad news, but like that, I mean, how are you going to make it work for your family? Every single individual, every situation is individual, Um, you know, regional, like, gosh, I mean, we could get so in depth. I don't think we're going to get like so fine tuned today. Um, But I mean, it's, it's the biggest question we, and we've said it in, in previous episodes with animals and, you know, we talked about it in our gardening episodes. Um, you know, replacing some of your grocery store costs and looking at how much food you can grow for your family and and things like that. Make the farm, make the homestead work for you. I mean, we are out here doing that work all day, every day. How can we develop it to be, like we've said before, like a symbiotic relationship? Um, If you're going to get up at the butt crack of dawn, what is it giving back to you? It's so it's so hard not to generalize a lot of this because it is, like Mandy said, um, geographically specific. Um, and a lot of it comes down to anything else that you do in your life. You budget because you want to do this. You budget because you want to do that. Are you willing to sacrifice 20 weekend getaways, you know, three huge trips a year, um, an offset? not give it up entirely, but just allocate those funds to the homestead. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just budgeting and understanding where your values and your priorities lie. And then also comes the piece of, look, we all have so much time and we all have so much money. 
So where's, where are you going to draw the line? Are you willing to spend more time making something for yourself? And if you don't have the time, are you willing to bring in somebody to do it for you? And then in exchange for that, there's going to be a cost. So really there's some questions that you have to ask yourself and sort of know the answers to before we get into, well, yes, I am willing to spend that much money and no, I'm not willing to spend that much money because it really comes down to personal preference and your lifestyle. Yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, with this scenario or this situation or example is so good and it can go with everything. I think that just another example to kind of get folks, you know, on the right mindset for what we're going to talk about. You know, people say like um, for gardening, for example, um, what should I plant? What do you want to plant? I can't tell you what. If you tell me I want X, Y and Z crop. I can help you arrange it, maybe interplant, you know, succession plant, companion plant, but I'm not here to tell you what to plant. Just like we're not going to tell you at any time how to spend your money, where to allocate it, you know, things like that. So that's, it's a very difficult question. I think the goal is in, and I, we can run through, we'll run through kind of like our finances, um, you know, how we save. I mean, I can talk about just you know, our mindset, how we plan for things like that, um, ways to kind of protect your finances. But we did put up kind of like a question answer box on social media. I just wanted to gauge where folks were at, right? So that I could really get our juices flowing and we could kind of know this is where folks are struggling um, and, you know, versus where people don't need so much help. I don't know. I mean, and then of course it varies because if you are just now getting into homesteading and you don't have a property that's conducive to that, are you going to consider land as one of your homesteading startup costs, right? Or are you already at some sort of a farm location and you're just kind of saying, all right, what's it going to cost me to get started and set up where I'm at? So, I mean, are your startup costs, are you accounting for the house? Are you accounting for installing fencing, the barn, or are you at a place where you already have those? So I think obviously the first place to start is, okay, what do you need to homestead? And if you're going to have animals and not just be a gardener or a grower, you're going to need a property that has the amount of acreage that is required based on a city ordinance. You know, how many acres do you need per, per horse, per head of cattle. Yeah. And then you need to fence that. And then you need the outbuildings. You need the barn. For me, I think it's a lot uh, less expensive to find a place that already has those, Um, especially here in New Jersey, where Mm -hmm. real estate is crazy expensive. I have a six acre farm and we had to move farther away from the New York City side of New New Jersey and get closer to the Pennsylvania side. And I bought a six acre property that already was outfitted with a barn and a three stall garage. That three stall garage was then turned into a stable. So I didn't install any building fixtures. Um, This allowed me to honestly, I'll just be straight up. I used to have a house in a more expensive location, more expensive city. And that was um, $565,000 for a small two bedroom home. 
when I got away from the New York City area, and that was on three three quarters of an acre, when I moved away from the New York City area, it got closer to the Pennsylvania line. I bought a six acre property outfitted with the barn and what would be my stable for five thirty five. I saved money and I increased land and outbuildings. Mm-hmm. Are you willing to drive? Right. Commute longer if you still go into the office at this day and age. Are you willing to drive farther um, in order to get out of city limits? But Mandy, you installed a barn. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, when we bought this property, there was, a, I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, it. you bring up, I don't want this podcast to be two hours long, right? I want to try and hone it in, but like, this is, it, you bring up a great point. I mean, my cost of living is likely less than your cost of living, right? Mm-hmm. For certain things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were talking about this the other day with my family. And I think that, again, this is a, a good example and I'll get back on track. So we were um, talking about what was your, what was, what's your favorite meal? And I was like, gosh, how do you pick? Right. That's a, that's a topic for another day. Like, how do you choose your favorite meal? Like yeah. I need a genre. Um, <laughs> I mean, Mexican, I mean, I could pick one from every single Mexican Italian. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, but talking about how, you know, on the coast, somebody, somebody said my favorite is lobster. And it's like, well, gosh, here in the Midwest where it's smack dab Northwest Missouri, we obviously don't have fresh lobster, right? So everything is flown in. So, you know, it's already, you know, days old, whatever it is, more expensive. Okay. Well, everybody raises cattle around here, right? So you can get top, you know, top grade, like incredible beef um, here versus somewhere where it's less accessible. So that, that is kind of another way to, to look at it. Um, everything that we're saying is, is regional, regional, geographical. And it's, it's, that's the biggest thing that you kind of have to take into consideration. So, but yes, uh, circling back, we bought, the, there was a house here and chicken coop, but nothing else. Um, and we had the barn installed, but not right away. Right. My, we built something that was fine for the goats by ourselves. Um, that has since been taken down. Right. And scrapped. Um, did I want a barn right away? Yeah. Do I want a bigger barn now? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so it's not that um, those things necessarily stop. Um, it's just it's just like if you make a to-do list of what you need to get done in a week. My, my biggest suggestion is, I mean, and, and it, it could be hard, um, but actually sit down, whether it's just you or you and your partner, your significant other, and look at, okay, in the next five years, this, this is what we want to do. And you have to map it out, kind of have to know the cost. And then, and then you have to start budgeting for it. Yeah. Um, It's like, if somebody was like, how much is it going to cost me to renovate my bathroom? I can't tell you that. Are you doing tile? What kind of floors are you doing? You doing clawfoot tub? Yeah. You doing a standard shower? Are you doing combo shower tub? What kind of countertops do you want? What do you want to spend on paint? I mean, right there, I there's that, no one answer. I think that that is maybe where we kind of switch gears too, because it's so hard to say. You know, when we put up that question box on social media, people are like is it attainable for somebody who doesn't make a lot of money? What's a lot of money to you, right? I mean, like, that's not being rude. That is just the honest truth. What's a lot of money to me might not be a lot of money to you. And that all circles back to cost of living and where you are um, 
and everything else that plays into it, right? You know, what kind of job do you have? Do you work off the homestead? Do you not? You know, yeah. I think. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh no, I wasn't interrupting. I was just ad living. But yeah, I mean, it's like if you can't afford to do it where you are because of land costs, yeah. home costs, whatever. That doesn't mean you can't do it. You just might need to move. You just yeah. might need to move to another state. Sure. Or go slow. Right? Yeah. Or, yeah. You know, like it's. Are you? Yeah. I mean, it's all about just all of these things take time. Right. So, I mean, we've been here for six years and, um, I, I said it maybe last year that it's, it took three, four years in order, in order to kind of like get up and running. And we're even still now fine tuning things and making things better and making things more efficient. And, but I think what is most helpful or what might be helpful for people today you know, how can you make money on your homestead? We've kind of touched on that a little bit, kind of hit or miss and other, other episodes, um, talking about, you know, did, did you, I mean, we're going to be very honest here, right? Did you take out a loan? Like people ask, like, have, did, did you get a grant? Did you borrow money from the bank? Um, you know, it's hard to kind of fine tune what our monthly costs are. We could definitely give like a very brief rundown, but just know that it's not going to be this. It's probably not going to be the same for you. We were talking before we even came on air, um, that I went to the feed store on Monday, uh, a couple of days ago, and it was, you know, there's a lot happening in the world right now. And, um, a lot of things cost more. And it was the first time that I really noticed that feed costs have gone up. And I was saying they've gone up, you know, one to $2 a bag. So if you say that out loud, one to $2, okay. Like you can't buy anything with a dollar these days. Um, but those things actually make a significant impact in the long run. Like, is it going to stay that cost? I don't know. Is it going to keep going up? I don't know. You know, do we, when you, yeah. So, well, let's do this. Let's so that we can give folks. Hopefully, we've given something, given you something to think about already, right? Because some of these things are very generalized, and they have to be because not everybody's situation is different. But let's maybe do a, a little financial profile for sure. each of us. Sure. And you can kind of see how you can work with the land you have. Meaning, like if you have your farm set up. Obviously, we're not talking about an urban farmette. We're, we're talking more like. Um, like country acreage because that's what we both have but we'll just kind of give a profile of of why I chose the animals that I did because of my landscape because that saves me money versus trying to bring in something that doesn't necessarily work here and then trying to you know finance something that's not necessarily the best fit so for example first things first when we moved in we had the barn we had no fencing so what we did because it was more cost effective and because I wanted draft horses is we needed electric so what we have is we just installed posts around the property and we have electro braid or poly poly braid wire. And that runs all off, off of a solar charger. And the reason we chose solar, it's more eco-friendly, but also it's cheaper. It's just a solar box and it all hooks up to the solar box rather than trying to run electrical li- lines down to where it would need to meet up with one of the outbuildings. Um, so we installed that. Then we didn't have to install any outbuildings. But we started with two draft horses and obviously draft horses are costly and they cost here more on the East Coast than they might 
somewhere else. I bought Finnegan at an auction for $3,000. I bought Dozer for $10,000 from a Clydesdale farm. So that shows you the gamut, even where I live, of costs mm-hmm. of horses. Then we have to talk about, okay, what does it cost to actually keep a draft horse? And these are like extreme end of horse keeping, right? Because it's big, it's it's more, it's everything. Yeah. When it, you know, So I pay where I'm at now, about roughly $6 a bale for an orchard Timothy hay mix that can fluctuate based on your location and the contents of your hay. I go through worst case scenario, two bales a day in dead of winter, no forage supplied for them. Okay. Mm-hmm. Sometimes in the summertime, I am going through weeks at a time where they're not getting any hay because they don't need it. They're on forage. So roughly speaking, you know, you figure $12 a day, worst time of year, dead of winter, that comes out to $360 a month in January for hay. Then I have feed. So I don't do grain for my horses. They're grain free. I just give them a supplemental feed for fats and vitamins. And so that's $30 a bag. And I get a bag about every two weeks because they get, get it minimally. So that's $60 a month or $720 a year in that supplemental feed. Then we have the farrier. I pay insane prices because I shoe all four feet on each horse. Yeah. And the reason I do have to shoe is because it's too wet here for me not to. If I was in a drier climate, I wouldn't spend that money. I would go barefoot. I can't hear because all I do is fight abscesses. So this was something that I had to learn. And this is a solution to the problem that I had, which was an abscess problem. Now I pay $1,200 every eight weeks in shoes. That is by far my biggest charge when it comes to the horses. That's $7,800 a year. And then of course, on top of that, you have your incidentals, salts, any additional supplement that I want, tack, uh, and vet charges. You know, hopefully, knock on wood, everybody <laughs> stays healthy. Uh, that's just going to be seasonal vaccinations, right? A couple hundred dollars. Um, do you want Do you want me to keep going, or do you want to jump in on your horse before well, I'm I think that that's over me? Yeah, I, I think that. Well, first, my first thought was, I'm surprised your head cost is not more, and that's great. I mean, I. Um, I don't know, a few months ago, asked people like, how much are you paying for hay? We pay, we pay the same anywhere from five to seven. I have two hay suppliers. And so it kind of just depends. Um, and we go through the same cause the goats. So, I mean, at the worst part in now the, our dairy cow, um, I don't know. It, it's, but, but my, my people want to know, like, do you have emergency funds? Like, I don't know. It, 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 my, my brain, my juices are just kind of flowing. So, but it's, <laughs> I know. Right. It's, uh, it, there's, there's so many tangents. Not, yeah. So our um, costs are not, not much different. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The feed, you have the, the hay um, and you can calculate all of this stuff out just like Angela did. Um, it, it's, it's pretty simple. I mean, go a couple of months save your receipts, which you should be saving anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, because if, I mean, all of this, if you, if you have any type of tax, um, whatever, we're not going to get into taxes. I don't do, uh, we outsource our taxes, especially now with the business and, and stuff like that. Um, and the LLC, but like, uh, you can write off everything. So anyway, back to, back to money, you should be, you know, look at, look at what it costs for a couple of months. 
see what it's going to cost for a couple of years. But I think it's also, uh, I don't know. Um, you know, you, I don't know where I'm, where I'm trying to go with this. Like you spend all this money on all these animals or this garden or whatever, whatever. And think about, you have to kind of think about, I think everybody wants to know, like, how is it giving back to you? Right. Are you actually saving money? Like, I'm going to ask you, uh, you know, do you think that at the scale that you're gardening, do you save money? Well, I think we need to get into that in the gardening portion, Okay, but okay, I, well, we'll well, I can't, but, I don't know if I can. But I think we don't, I don't, yeah, I still spend money on raised bed soil. Um, if I'm, if I'm, so every year I try to increase the height of my raised beds by adding another sort of, they're made of wood and I add like another sure. two by four on the top perimeter. And then I'll add some fresh raised bed soil. I don't have to spend money though in compost anymore. And I don't have to spend money in really the same amendments that I used to, because I'm getting that from compost. Right. So that's been offset. Um, I think that's really the only sort of tangible financial benefit to keeping horses, which are sort of notorious for being money pits on farms. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, now, if I were to do something else, like give riding lessons, yeah. I could rake it in. If I were to install a separate stall in my stable, which I do have room for and board, right. Rake in that money. Right. So yeah. there's ways to offset your own costs. Are you necessarily going to make money? I think with all of this, you're going to find at least my answer is no, you can break even, mm -hmm. but if you actually want to profit, that's where I, that's why I started doing things like writing articles and now writing books and having online classes. Mandy does her lotion. You know, you start creating goods to profit and you yeah. can use your farm items as a foundation. Like Mandy use her, Mandy uses her goat's milk for her lotion. A while ago, she used to do soap. Didn't you? Yeah. That sort of becomes an ingredient. It becomes part of the fabric of that that good that you're creating. Um, let's get into the flock because I think this is one of the easiest costs to offset by selling oh, yeah. eggs or sure. birds in itself. Right. This is yeah. my first year where I'm trying to sell goslings. Yeah. And when you do a more specialty breed like the Sebastopol's, like Mandy and I both have, or the large dewlap Toulouse, you'll look mm -hmm. at a hatchery website. They charge easily $250 for a bird, yeah. a pair of birds or something. So I can do that here. And because those are specialty birds, they're in high demand, which means the websites sell out faster, which means I have no problem charging Selling. that. Yeah. yeah. That's something that I can easily do. For me, for the flock, um, it costs me about $13 or $14 for a bag of feed. I have a flock of 40 birds total, geese and ducks included. And I go through about two bags of feed a week. They, yeah. they get fed once a day and they free range the rest of the time. Obviously, same thing, dead of winter. I have to feed them more to offset right. what they're not getting in their daily forage. So $22 a week in feed comes out to $1,100 a little more than that per year yeah. but yeah. I can sell a goose right at 130 150 yeah. per bird 254 a pair um I can sell ducklings I sell eggs duck eggs and goose eggs are not prevalent in many locations you can find chicken eggs everywhere but I can charge six dollars for a dozen duck eggs because people equate that to the equivalent of you know one 
one duck egg is like a double a goose egg. So $3 a dozen. And I sell geese eggs for a dollar a piece. Um, so I would say by far and away, yes, the flock nets even on the homestead for me. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, the, the cost is about the same when you said for feed and there, I mean, like you said, offsetting, I mean, it's very, very, very simple to break even by just selling eating eggs. Right. I mean, if you sell a couple of dozen, you know, or a handful of dozen, which if you have, you know, 10, 15, whatever, just say chickens, you're going to get that in peak season. Um, you're going to, they're going to pay for their feed. Great. Awesome. You know, you, you have your structure, whatever you have all that, you know, obviously you have that already. Um, you know, somebody, somebody said when we talk about like starting our lotion business and, and how much it's grown and things like that. I mean, when we talk about uh, our, you know, margins and getting into all of that business stuff, um, it was kind of a moot point for me to include how much it takes to take care of the animals initially. Right. I mean, like that's, that's the foundation of it. It actually takes probably a lot more when you actually factor in your time and labor and things like that. Um, but I'm going to have them regardless. So, um, that's just kind of another, another thing to kind of look at, but yeah, with the flock, yeah. I mean, I'm going to have chickens anyway. I wanted them for our eggs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So what is a way that you can just at least break even? Great. Sell your eggs. Easy. Right. Because Easy. if you, if you want to save on fresh eggs and you're going to buy organic local sure. farm, fresh eggs anyway, yeah. yeah, you can keep them and you don't need 40 birds. You could have like three yes. and then you know, egg prices right. are going up. So and then, yeah, that's, I mean, that's another good point. If you, I mean, it, if you want them, if you want them in your own backyard, whatever, and you don't, I mean, you're not interested in selling, it's still a, a break even situation. It's reducing one thing that you have to go to the grocery store and buy. Right. And, you know, yeah. You know, and if, if self-reliance is of importance right. to you yeah, and truly local is of importance to you, you're obviously going to factor that in and how you weight your decision of whether or not to bring home ducks or geese or chickens. But here's the thing, you know, when it comes to outfitting, for not just the coop, chickens, mm-hmm. poultry, horses, whatever, sheep, goats we're talking about. I mean, it is what you make it. I have seen some incredibly smart and useful coops, chicken tractors, whatever, made out of pallets, yes. tarps. I mean, and then there's like the $10,000, $12,000 custom built coops out there that. They're like tiny homes. Yeah. I mean, if that, it's all in what you value, right? You don't need that. You don't need that. A chicken doesn't need that. If you go into many warm climate countries, chickens are running around and they're happy as can be. And then they just don't have anything. Yeah. I mean, right. Right. It also depends on your predator situation. How much of a fortress do you need in order to keep your birds safe at night? Again, so that's, that's going to be something that's geographically specific. One thing that is I think important to keep in mind with any animal that you choose when you, when you're looking at a species, what is the best fit for your terrain? So I choose sheep because I can benefit from having the yarn for myself and I can also sell it, but I have grass. Sure. We have a lot of brush and bracken and whatever you want to call it, 
But for me, I'm primarily concerned with pasture rotation. I don't have a lot of weeds, thankfully, in my pastures. I have grass that I would rather have a sheep help to graze and create a closed circuit grazing system mm-hmm. than having goats. If you have a, live in an area with not a lot of grassy forage, brushy forage, and you've got a lot of woody stem-like growth, barberry, poison ivy, that sort of thing, a goat would make more sense, yeah. right? Yes. I mean, this is just... I hope that this is just helping people kind of understand that if you truthfully want to make this work for you in a way that it's not like a huge money drainer, money pit, right? If the goal is to eventually break even or make money or whatever it is, I mean, there's so many different things that you can do, but um you like Angela keeps saying, you know, you, you have to consider all of these things before the big dream happens. Right. So, yeah, I mean, with this perfect example, you know, sheep first goat, great. If you didn't, you know, like, great. If you, if you, if you did the opposite of what Angela just said, right. And you have terrain, you have land, you have pasture that would be more suitable for goats, but you are, you're set on sheep you have to kind of then factor in, which I don't think a lot of people do. So again, hopefully it's just kind of like get, you know, thinking about the things that we don't think about, right? You don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, if you did that, you're likely going to have to supplement them more, mm-hmm. right? With feed, with hay, with whatever. Yes. Because not getting that, I'm doing air quotes, free nutrition from the pasture. Whereas if you had goats, you would be feeding them less because they are getting their nutritional needs from what you already have. Correct. Um, and I mean, it, it, we could get into the weeds, no pun intended with all of this, you know, stocking density for your animals, things like that. If you're, you know, if you have a smaller piece of property, there is, there, there's ways to keep, you know, a handful of animals on a smaller piece of land, but you have to supplement their feed, you know, so it's more cost, it's more cost that way. You're going to have to be bringing in more hay versus grazing, Um, but if you have more grazing land, then do you have to have more fencing, you know, Mm -hmm. so there it's not really like one or the other it's weighing your, your benefits, pros and cons of every situation. Yeah. And it goes back to like the very first episode we ever recorded in season one. Like, what are your goals? Do you want, are you keeping cattle for dairy? Are you keeping them for meat? Are you keeping cattle for just pets or grazing? Like why are you bringing in the animal that you're bringing in? Yeah. Is, is it because it's just a pet? Cause that's fine. If that's what you want, it's just knowing that then, okay, well then it might require some different forage and nutritional. Uh, it have, might have more nutritional needs than you can yes. supply with just straight up land. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So then I think, you know, we kind of covered the the bit about the animals. I think many homesteaders, are interested in gardening and growing their own food and whether Mm -hmm. or not this actually offsets the cost of produce in the growing season. Absolutely. I don't buy anything but dry goods in the growing season because I'm getting all of my produce. Well, with the exception of bananas and avocados from my garden. Yep. You. 
Yeah, same. I mean, same. I mean, and we could get, again, talked a little bit more um, in those gardening episodes, but then you talk about preserving and canning and all of those types of things that can extend, again, air quotes again, your growing season. But yeah, correct. I mean, we go to dry goods, grocery store for dry goods, um, because Mm -hmm. you figure out how to end eating seasonally and things like that. That definitely saves, absolutely saves on grocery store bill. And we, yeah, yeah, I mean, and how much food to grow per person, we've kind of already talked about that allocating your space. Um, And in general, it might be an upfront cost if you don't have a garden or you need to, you know, expand it. But the return, if you truthfully are doing it in more of like an intensive way in, in the mindset to save money, not just saving money while like it's, you know, where your food comes from, you know, you get outside, it's, you know, it's activity. I mean, it's all these other incredible things, right? Um, but it, it might be upfront cost, but you're going to get it back. You, you just are. So Sean, my husband, is in supply chain for a living which obviously sucks right now and cost savings is like his life. That's what he does. So you can imagine that anytime I want to take on a homesteading venture, we have to talk about the cost savings and then we're going to talk about the cost savings some more. And then we're going to look at, wait a second. Did we miss a different way? Do we really need to do this? So for example, canning, when it comes to canning, I buy, the equipment for the canning. I buy the jars. Well, how much is it going to cost? I know you have the tomatoes from the garden, he says, but how much does it really cost per jar of sauce? Because you have the canning equipment now and you have the jars. And then he'll say, well, of course, every time the jar is used, that cost per jar goes down. I cannot give you that information. Quite honestly, I don't care. What I care about is for me, I know that I go through 52 to 60 cans of tomato sauce per year. So I make sure in my garden, I grow enough tomatoes to for eat fresh during the growing season because I like it, a tomato sandwich. I like whatever. But then really, I'm canning those tomatoes and I'm putting them in jars. Yes, of course, the cost per jar is going to go down for the actual piece of glass because I use them for a myriad of things in addition to canning every single year. Sourdough starter, whatever. But the idea here is that now I am no longer reliant on a grocery store for my tomato sauce. Mm-hmm. I don't buy it anymore, ever. So if you want to look at that and say, well, yeah, you had to buy the jars and you had to buy the canning equipment. You had to install a raised bed. You had to buy soil. You had to like buy the seeds. Well, sure. Then of course you can look at it that way and say, it saves me money. But I also grow other things in that raised bed and in that soil. And I save my own seeds now. So I had the initial startup cost of the tomato seed. Mm -hmm. I was going to buy the jars anyway, because I use them as drinking glasses. So really, what is your perception here? How yeah. are you trying? How do you want me to tell you that these things are going to cost money? They do. It all does. Everything costs money. Yep. But are you going to use it over and over again? Yes. It is an investment. It is an initial cost to get set up to install raised beds. If you don't have the money for raised beds, that's okay. You can grow in ground. You can mm-hmm. grow in containers. Mm-hmm. You can start small and then just the next first season install one raised bed. You could install one raised bed per year and end up with a pretty badass garden by year five, six, right? Yep, absolutely. I mean, it's just, um, it's it's like we keep saying, it's very hard to like fine tune and say, you know, people want to know 
where's the best place for me to invest my money? That's not my money. That's your money. Right. And so all of these things that I hope that we're, you know, kind of just converse, just conversation that we're having, it's really, really good information to kind of think about, okay, I'm spending, you know, $10 on these jars, but like you said, how many times am I going to use it over how many years, Right. how many, you know, what, what, else would I be buying if I didn't use this multiple times? I mean, it's, it's actually, and honestly, things that people probably don't think about, um, ever. (laughs) A lot of people probably don't think about it in that way, but homesteading this lifestyle, um, if the goal is to, you know, make it financially right or make it financially feasible for your family, that's you got to shift your mindset but that's that's what you got to do um and 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 over you know reaching kind of i guess broad topic to kind of talk about you you touched on it about you know do you build your shelter do you do you can you do it or do you have to outsource the labor you're like you know can you build it out of pallets or is it like the taj mahal whatever it is there are so many things that go into this. It's just, yeah. it's just so hard to, to fine tune. I'm looking at my list of like questions that folks, you know, and do you have a separate emergency fund for the farm? Do you? No, we just have a savings account. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. I mean, so right. Insane. Um, I mean, our, our situation is a little bit different because we have a separate account for like the business or whatever. Um, but, and that's strictly just to keep finances, whatever, but okay, you have, you have all of this stuff. You have your infrastructure, you have your animals, you have whatever it is. Um, you can kind of know, um, your costs per year, figure that out. You should then set, set some money aside or always, I'm not saying like physically take it and have cash it somewhere in your house, but I mean, unless that's, unless that's your thing, if you want to like hide cash on your pillows, that's fine too. Mm-hmm. But like, um, you, you have to, you have to have like an emergency fund. People want to know people asked about the emergency fund. No, we just have a savings account and we make sure that it stays at a certain level. That way, if something were to happen, we don't have to make a decision saying we have to get rid of this animal. We can't, we can't do this, you know, and it, it all, this could go on forever, Angela. It this this, <laughs> part, this could go on forever. It well, all has to go like with like it the the value of it, right? The value of whatever it is. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. and it, it just comes back to time versus yes money because yes. you can say, well, yeah, you spend that much on hay, but at my farm, I'm going to go cover crops in the winter, and they're going to forage on that, and then I won't have to spend as much money on hay. We can go down a rabbit hole for every single thing. What I'm getting at is there is a way to save money on every single facet of homesteading. Yep. Depending on what you're willing to put into it, how much time you're willing to put into it, and sort of what the end game goal is. Um, yes. But it does cost money. It costs it costs $225 to buy a colony of bees, plus the hive, plus the equipment. And it, are you going to build a hive stand? Are you going and are you willing to put the time into learning how to maintain those bees so that they come back every year and then you can split your hives and you don't need to buy hives anymore? Are you going to sell honey? You know, so I think very quickly before we wrap up, 
I think it's just important to reinforce that I cannot tell you how much a bag of dirt costs because it's different for me based on whether I buy organic or conventional, whether I buy in two foot cubic bags or small bags, what time of year I'm buying. My geographical location is different. I can't tell you how much it costs to fill a raised bed in dollars and cents because I also offset that with manure from my, my animals. So yeah, I think the important thing to know is you are going to have setup costs, barn fencing animals and all of the things that they need. As you continue to homestead, the costs go down because you've used these things time and time again. Eventually yeah. you're going to get to a point where it's just maintenance. So it's just fixing a broken fence rather than installing a new one, vaccinations, deworming, buying feed. And then you learn how to cut costs by doing things and layering, like planting those winter cover crops, uh, working on pasture rotation to give everybody optimal nutrition on the same amount of space. It's a layered approach. And over time, those costs do go down. Um, a few ways that you can make money from the homestead, because I think that's a big thing for people, sell your yeah. goods, yep. sell honey, sell produce, sell soap, lotion, do make sure that you check with your local municipal offices sure. because a lot of states and cities do have ordinance in place for those things. We have a cottage food law here in New Jersey. I couldn't make sourdough bread and sell it unless it comes from a commercial licensed kitchen. So do know those little pieces of, you know, the legislation that's in place before, <laughs> yeah, before you get your heart set on that and being like, well, yeah. I'm going to have a homestead, but I'm just going to make bread and that's how we're going to make money. Not necessarily. Yeah. Cause it might be, yeah. I mean, all of it is just it. Homesteading is a lifestyle first and foremost. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about all of this, it is, it is, if you're truthfully here for the long haul, right. You're ready to jump in. It is a um, lifestyle that is a little bit more of a gradual um, think about it. Like if you worked in the corporate world and you started as like a peon and you want to work your way all the way up, that does not happen overnight. But if you work really hard, you learn new skills, you learn new trades, you figure out what works best for you, you put in the time, you move up. Uh, and it's the same, it's the same scenario. Uh, yeah. we, we all start somewhere. I will, you know, um, I, I, I don't even know if I broke even for the first couple of years. I'm, I, I would venture to guess I lost money. Um, but we're no longer in that place, but it took years and that's just the truth. But you know, it is, it is, but it's, it's the lifestyle you want. Yes, so you chose that rather yeah. than buying a new pair of shoes yep, monthly. Yep. Or rather, well, I know Casey still buys their shoes. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you're willing to sacrifice a gym membership because now you're active outside all the time yep. or you're traveling less. Um, so it's just like anything else we want to do in our day-to-day -day life. A lot of people do work full-time and still have a homestead. A lot of people have one partner that works full-time and the other works part-time or not at all. My husband works a full-time corporate job. I do the homestead. And then in addition to the farm, I am now a writer and I do the classes. So it's just sort of working as a team to still meet your financial needs and decide whether or not the homestead is really going to fit into your life. I'm going to tell you something though. I know people in apartment buildings that consider themselves homesteaders. I consider them a homesteader. They make their own bread. 
they go to a park and they grow at a community garden and they have rabbits for their little Angora fiber hair fiber. Thank you. That's homesteading. Yeah, absolutely. There's, I mean, it, it's big and small, right? And I think it goes back to the mindset um, and the lifestyle. And, um, you know, I think it's really more or less just like wanting to learn skills and trades and do it yourself. And and, and there, I think that we can end with saying um, it is possible, right? It, it mm-hmm. absolutely is. Um take everything that we've said kind of into consideration. We can definitely do a follow-up. I think that this is probably going to glean a lot of questions from people, right? I mean, it just is. But um, think about all those things. The glass example, the, you know, when Angela was talking about the jars, kind of have to switch your mindset um, and make it work for you, make it work for your family. And um, with that, I think we'll kind of sign off because otherwise I'm just going to keep going and we're just going to like get down. We're going to like, it's going to be noon before we know it. So we really appreciate it. I hope that this was very helpful. Um, Have a good day. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Homestead Education Podcast. Any relevant material will be put in the show notes. We hope you'll share our episodes and also click that subscribe button. For more information about this podcast, you can visit us on Instagram at Homestead Education Podcast. Angela can be found online at axeandroothomestead.com and on Instagram at axeandroothomestead. Mandy can also be found online at thefarmermandy.com and on Instagram at Wild Oak Farms. We'll see you next time.